listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. We are um, in a series right now called Grow Up. I hope that you've been growing up a little bit. I hope that you've been evaluating your life and evaluating whether or not you're making good godly choices, whether you're being mature or you're being immature. And if you're being immature, that you're making some strides in that. I mean, my goodness, whenever we have like fits of, of frustrated rage, that's just signs of immaturity that God needs to work out of us. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be just like, okay, I'm mad, but I'm just going to handle it. No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean to be emotionless like a robot, but it does mean to stop being driven by our emotions and allow the Holy Spirit to direct us and guide us, even in moments of frustration and pain and, and being upset. Now, not only do we want to see you grow up into who God created you to be, guess who else wants to see it? Jesus wants to see you grow. Okay, well, let's see some Bible verses on that. Well, here's 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He wants you to grow. He doesn't want you to just, he doesn't want the seed to go into the ground and be like, all right, well, the seed's in the ground. That's it. That's, all right, see you all later. We'll see you in eternity. No, he wants you to grow because unless you grow, you don't produce. God wants you producing. 1 Corinthians 3.11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. I mean, have y'all ever seen somebody who's 40 years old that still walks around going, now, if they're talking to a baby, I'll give you a pass. But if they sit down at the board meeting, and say, all right, Johnson, what's the report this week? What? Like, some, the level of dysfunction there is pretty high, wouldn't you imagine? But we... Come on, man. Like, we do this with Jesus, don't we? Go to church for 40 years and are still struggling with the same stuff we struggled with day one. Grow up. Like, we need to grow. We need to grow. Um, 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3. Oh, let me read um, Hebrews 5, 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment are trained in constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Solid food. As the enters, it's solid food. So we start off with the pure milk of the word. We'll read that here in a bit in this next verse. But God wants us getting to solid food. I had a steak last night. Um, we were out at the campground, and um, my father-in-law cooked some steaks. And my Lord, they're delicious. And even though I water-picked my teeth and I brushed my teeth, there's still every now and then a little people, mm, ooh, I don't even need A1 even then. You know what I'm saying? Like, and guys, you know why guys have beards? It's because you get little pieces about three or four days later. After three days, the steak is beef jerky, baby. Come on, man. Delicious. I'm so kidding. That's disgusting. Brush your beard. You know what I'm saying? Like, wash yourself. <coughs> but the point is, God doesn't want us on cream of wheat our whole life. Like, eat something solid. First Peter 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. For by it you may grow up into salvation. You know, the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Does that mean you're not saved when you say yes to Jesus? No, that's not what it means at all. But it means that you need to engage with Jesus so that your salvation is built up and bolstered. You have more confidence and more faith in him and in your salvation. That's what this is talking about. So as we are, as we are dining on both the milk of the word and the, the meat of the word, we grow up. That's what God wants for us. Interestingly enough, right after that verse in 1 Peter 2, uh, it, it talks about, um, Peter writes about the fact that we're living stones. We're rejected by men, but we're accepted by God. We're precious to him, and we're being built up into a spiritual house. Now, accepted and loved by God. Every one of us are accepted and loved by God. Listen to me. No matter what you've done, 
No matter what situation you're in. No matter if you came in here and spiritually you are so filthy that you didn't even want to darken the door. You are still loved and accepted by God. He will never not love you. Okay? Neither height nor depth. Angels or demons. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Yes, there are people that are going to split hell wide open that God loves just as much as he loved John and Peter. He loves you. But we cannot overlook the fact that while the stone is accepted by God, that we have some chiseling that needs to take place and that God has got to work the stone to get us prepared for the spot he has us in his spiritual house. And chiseling stinks, y'all. It's the process of taking pieces of you and breaking them off. That's not exciting stuff. But I thank God that he's chosen and accepted me. But you know what else? I also thank God that he sees in me the perfect shape for his spiritual house. What does that mean? That means when God looks at you, you might be an old lump of coal, but he already sees the completed diamond. You might just be a jaggly old rock, but he already sees the perfect stonework that you are fitted into place. And one of the things that's so encouraging to me about my relationship with Jesus Christ is that no matter how I look in my own perception, how I look in the mirror, even how I look to other people, God sees in me what he wants me to be. And because of that, it gives me hope that if I'll trust him, he might just get me there. Not everybody sees this, though, as love, because as I look at this and I think about the fact that he's not just accepted me, but he's chiseling away at me to create in me who he wants me to be. I respond with, man, like I love him for that. I love him that he just didn't save me and leave me to my own devices, but that he's actively working things into me and out of me to me so that I can be everything he created me to be. And not everybody sees that as love, though. They don't. Some cannot fathom a God who loves you, but then constantly wants to work on you. Because what it does is it plays on some preconceived notions that we might have about what love is. And those notions reveal either mature thought processes or immature thought processes. So just for funsies, let's talk about a few. Here's one. Here's an immature thought. All I need is love. A mature thought is love is the foundation. So every relationship in my life, whether it's with people, with God, with anyone, is built upon my love for them. Okay? My acceptance of them or rejection of them is based on how much I love them. Now, when it comes to my family, absolutely, I love them. When it comes to my friends, I love them. Jesus, I love them. Coworkers, <laughs> not so fast. You know what I'm saying? Like, easy, tiger. But how you accept or reject a person is solely based on how you love them. And because of this, we can easily think of that, uh, that as long as we have love, that we're good. Okay, what are the Beatles saying? All you need is love. Thank you. Thank you, somebody. Okay, I'm going to do an 80s deep cut right here. You ready with this one? Oh, what would we do, baby, without love? Sha-la-la-la. Come on, man. Some of y'all are like, this is why I was not born in the 80s. You know what? You wish you'd have been born so you could experience the 80s. We passed, me and Tony passed the DeLorean building the other day in Houston. I about jumped out of the car. I was like, oh, my God. Anyway, 80s. Um, what about, maybe I'll know this one. What's love got to do, got to do with it? Woo. Okay, keep your shirt on. Calm down, everybody. Daggum. Know that one, but don't know as the deer. Shame on you. No, I'm kidding. The truth is, though, just like a building is not only concrete only or wood only or drywall only, the buildings that are our relationships are not that either. Okay? 
Our relationships are complex organisms. And they have, uh, uh, they have love within them, but there are many other things that create and sustain that relationship. Love might be the foundation. It's not the whole thing, though, okay? The building that is the relationship stands upon the foundation of love. Now, a building requires more than a foundation to be functional. Imagine I go to the contractor this next week, and I say, listen, brother, all we need is a foundation. Can you just build us a foundation? A big rectangle, 200 by 100. That's all we need. Okay, well, where are you going to have services? On the foundation. But what if it's raining? That's all right. God will provide. In August, what are you going to do? It's hot. Well, we just, we'll blow on each other. How ridiculous is that? If a building has just a foundation and nothing else, you know what? We, we don't call that a building. So listen to me. Just because your relationship has love doesn't necessarily mean it's a relationship or that it's healthy. Imagine if all you needed in your marriage was love. Where are my married folks at? How many of y'all have loved your spouse, but you can't stand them right now? My wife had a roommate in college, and one day she looked at me and she says, I love you, but I just don't like you right now. Y'all ever felt like that? Whoa, whoa. some of you guys said amen real fast. Mature married couples understand it takes more than love to keep a marriage together. It takes compromise. It takes compassion. It takes forgiveness. It takes mercy. You know, it takes intimacy. At both kinds, guys. Both kinds. Um, it takes surrender. It takes sacrifice. Notice how every word I mention here is connected with love. They don't define love, but they need love to operate. They stand upon love. Compromise means loving a person enough to meet them in the middle. Compassion means having enough empathy that makes you do something about it. They're all built about forgiveness, mercy, intimacy, all of them. They all need love to work, but marriages need more than just love to work. It's the foundation. It's not everything. Let me tell you another uh, immature thought. Here's one. How about this? Love is acceptance. The mature thought is love is betterment. Okay? Uh, the ideology in our culture is that if you don't accept me, it means you don't love me. My goodness, we live in the wackiest time in the world right now. Things are so twisted from what they should be. But it's like if you don't agree with somebody's thought process or ideology, it must mean that you hate them or that you're a Nazi or something. Like, good Lord, talk about extremes. I mean, have you ever loved somebody and disagreed with them? I'll tell you what, I disagree with my wife a lot of times on some stuff. You know what I'm saying? And I tell her what she can do. And I, see, she ain't here. Uh, so y'all hush. And I'm going to cut this out of the sermon. Now, you ain't got to worry about that, Tony. I'm kidding. I don't, I, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't dictate to what my wife, what she is and ain't going to do. You know why? Because that's not loving her. Okay? You have to love. But love and affirmation are not interchangeable. Okay? And, and, but today, in a lot of people's minds, they are. If you don't love me, if you don't affirm me, if you don't accept me, then you must hate me. That's not what that means. But a mature person understands that love doesn't mean blindly accepting whatever's going on in a person's life without any pushback. In fact, in the context of Christianity, that can actually be sinful. James chapter 4 says, if you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, that's sin. So, I wrote this on the screen because I want you all to see it together. But if you love someone and they are engaged in activities or thought processes that are negative or detrimental to them becoming who God created them to be, not only is it wrong to not engage with them about it, it is indicative of a lack of love, not an abundance of it. 
in our culture right now, it's almost like if, if you don't deal with the issue or whatever, then that means you love because you're just letting them do whatever they want to do. Guys, if you just did whatever you wanted to do, we do that, and how does it work out for us? It's trash. We find ourselves in horrible situations, okay? But, but what this does mean, though, is it doesn't mean you just run into their lives and bash them over the head with the Bible and tell them every little thing they're doing wrong. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you think that that's how we should be acting in Christianity, then I got one question for you. When do you want to schedule a time for God to come do that with your life? Because you're up here acting like you got your life together and you're trying to bash somebody else who has some things. Sometimes it's easier to bash visible outward sins than it is to deal with, the, to bash the inward ones. You understand what I'm saying? And sometimes we can keep our sins to ourselves. We can keep it private in our own rooms. But it doesn't make it any less sin. Okay? It doesn't mean just bashing somebody. In fact, I say this to people a lot for me personally. My job is not to bash you and tell you right and wrong and all that. My job is to point you to the Father. That's what my job is. I'm pointing you to Jesus. I'm unpacking these scriptures in such a way and creating environments so that you can encounter who Jesus really is. If and when God wants me to help you with the situation that you're struggling with, he will have prepared both of our hearts for that moment. I'm not going to bash you over the head. I'm not going to tell you you can't be here if you're doing this, that, or the other. In fact, I'll tell you, if you are a sinner, come more. Come to, where else are you going to find Jesus? Where else are you going to find support and love? The church, I think, has gotten so scared to interact with the sinner that we've let people go to hell because we refuse to engage with them. But that doesn't mean bring them into the church and put them on the front row and whip them like you're a Roman centurion. You know what you do? You love people. Love them. Jesus loved them in spite of their sin. And listen to me. He loved you in spite of yours. So do what he's done. It doesn't mean be okay with people's sin. But you have to remember, you're just a sheep. You're not the judge and jury. If God wants you to help them with that sin, he will have prepared both of you for that moment. We have to be very careful about this. Because what we can do is we can be so judgmental that we lose the sheep. Jesus loves us too much to leave us where he found us. That means that betterment is a massive focus for him. He wants us to be better. And that's one of the reasons why we have things like endurance. Imagine this. You're a child of God, but over the last month you've experienced a great deal of challenges that are disrupting narratives in your life, creating moments of forced change, and requiring you to adjust. Now, this could be the devil. Okay, it could be. You could be under attack. Perhaps you're under attack, but, but here's the question. What if it's God? What if it's God? What if God has you in a season of intentional development designed to work some things out of you and to work some things into you so that you can be everything he created you to be? What if he was that dedicated to you getting better? That God would allow suffering into your world to fix something. But because God is allowing issues that are requiring you to grow, if you being accepted for who you are as love, then what does it say about God that creates and uses moments in our lives that force us to grow? You see, God would see something in us that he does not accept, that he doesn't like, that he doesn't think is good. But rather than leaving you to your own demise, he sends a situation so you can correct what he saw in you that's not good. An immature person would say, God doesn't love me. 
a mature person would never even question that thought. God's love is not displayed in his acceptance of who you are. It's displayed in how hard he is working to help you become everything he created you to be. Here's another immature thought. Love is freedom. Mature says love is discipline. Just because God loves you does not mean you have unfettered freedom to do whatever you want to do. Um, that's not freedom. That's actually lawlessness. The Bible says sin is lawlessness. It's a, it's a refusal to be obedient. What's amazing is that obedience is born out of the love that we experience between God. But Satan contorts this so that we're tricked into believing the lie that because God loves us, we can do whatever we want to do. Well, I can do what I want to do. You know why? Because Jesus loves me. I hear you, fam. Um, but this is just like the situation where Paul is talking about what is in Romans 6, where he says, because grace abounds, does that mean that we can sin? This is the closest Paul ever gets to saying a bad word, y'all. There's a phrase in Galatians 6, 1, it's meganoita, and it means heck to the gnaw, you know what I'm saying? Like, so Paul says, because grace abounds, should we sin more? And Paul's like, oh, no. That's a heavy no. That's a hard no. Absolutely not. In the same way, just because you have the love of God doesn't mean you have free will to do whatever you want to do. So because this can be a little confusing to some, let me explain what freedom is. Okay? Freedom with God does not mean freedom like an American thinks of freedom, where you have the ability to do whatever you want to do as long as you aren't harming somebody else. That might work in government, but it does not work in God's kingdom. It does not work with freedom in Christ. Freedom actually is this. It simply means that you are unrestrained in your pursuit of and your ability to be who God created you to be. And listen, not in who you think you should be. Okay? Um, you're a really bad judge of who you should be. If you want evidence of that, ask yourself how many times have you gotten yourself into trouble? Okay? We're really bad at it, aren't we? Well, I've got, I got a handle on my life. Really? I mean, my goodness. Like, no, you don't. Like, we're all bad at this at times. None of us are good judges of what our best is. However, the God that created you is. The one that formed you in your mother's womb is good at knowing what's best for you. And if you'll trust him, he might actually know what it's going to take to get you to the place where you're experiencing the best that you could possibly be in him. We have to get a better understanding, really, of what freedom is and what it's all about. Now, for Peter, freedom wasn't being the best fisherman out there. For Peter, it was the act of fulfilling what Jesus called him to do, even if it meant dying on a cross. Freedom is not Paul being healed of his physical malady, his thorn in the flesh. Freedom for Paul was experiencing everything that God created him to experience. Your understanding of freedom, it has to shift. And when it does, you'll understand why we should love his discipline. That's the discipline side of this. Let's, talk a look, let's take a look at that for just a second. Okay. Anytime you look in the Bible at discipline, you always see God's love. Every time. An immature person thinks that discipline, that correction, is negative. But a mature person sees its value. This is why your children hate correction. Okay? All they see is the spanking. All they see is the grounding. All they see is the punishment. But the parent understands that the punishment is designed to instill in them the value of the correction that's happening in that specific moment. If you never... 
If you never correct your child, you can never expect them to learn how to do the right thing. Can I have an epidemic of parents right now that are not actually disciplining their children? They just think, oh, well, they'll figure it out. No, they won't. Okay, they won't. And that, that's a lot of why you're seeing what you're seeing, not just in schools, but what you're seeing in the culture right now. People just letting their kids do whatever they want. There's a great clip going around on TikTok right now of Andy Griffith and his like long-lost weirdo cousin or something like that. And the clip, the guy says, well, don't you think little uh, Opie or whatever would, would be better off just figuring out what he wants? He says, no. No, it's a terrible idea. You know why? Because little kids, immature people, they will chase after the first shiny thing, not realizing it's got a hook on it. You parents, your job is to make sure that you are training up your children in the way they should go so that when they're old, they won't depart from it. And that means sometimes spanking their little booty. You hear what I'm talking about, parents? Now, listen, let me just say this to you. There's some kids that spanking doesn't work. It just doesn't work for them. But, but sparing the rod doesn't necessarily mean beating the child or whatever. It means maybe you figure out a way to discipline your kid that makes sure that their correction happens. That's the goal. The goal is not to spank them. The goal is to correct them. In fact, you might be sitting here thinking, spare the rod, spoil the child. The Bible does not say that. All right, it's an old wives' tale. Here's what it actually says. Look at this verse. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So whether you spank a child or ground them or whatever, correct and discipline your children. Because if you don't, it's indicative that you hate them. Undercorrection is just as bad as overcorrection. Okay? Pastor Dianette at New Covenant, she would always tell parents, if you spank your children, spank them hard enough to where they come to you. Okay? Not, not, not too hard to, to break the spoon. And some of y'all are like, I don't believe in corporal punishment. You do you. All right, whatever. That's fine. I know at my house, we, <laughs> my wife walks around with a spoon in her purse. Y'all hear what I'm saying? <laughs> and I'm not talking about one of them little cheap wood. I'm talking about them big old Paula Dean jokers. You know what I'm saying? Like them pioneer woman can build a house with this. Like can also serve as the lentil for a doorpost if you don't need to stir the macaroni. Like them kind of spoons. We don't beat our children, but we discipline our children. Why? You know why? Because I love my kids. I love them. And discipline and love, we see, are tied together in the Bible. But why? It's because Jesus loves you, and because he loves you, he's not going to let you continue in activities that will end up being the doom of your soul. That's why. He loves you too much to let that happen. He'll send situations. He'll send issues. He'll allow problems and moments of severe uncomfortability, all of which are designed to correct action that's having a negative impact on both you, your purpose, and your soul. So some of us have been griping at the devil about the struggle we're dealing with. It ain't the devil. It's Jesus trying to discipline you. Okay? Jesus is the one that allowed the thorn in your flesh because he needs you to correct something before it's too late. If you don't believe me and you want some biblical evidence of this, go look at Balaam's donkey. Go look at Jonah's well. Go look at Paul's thorn in his flesh. What about Peter's denial? It's kind of a weird one, right? Why would Peter allow, why would Jesus allow Peter to deny him? He, again, I'm just reading between the lines here, but here's what I think. There was something inside of Peter that had to die before the crucifixion because it would kill him after the crucifixion. And some of you right now have endured things in your life 
not because you were doing something wrong, but because there was something inside of you that had to die because you could not function with that thing in the life that God had for you. Some of you have gone through situations and experiences that have been traumatic and painful and they've broken you and you've suffered and you've yelled at the sky, why God, why God? And he, he wanted to tell you in that moment and he wanted to show you in that moment and he wanted to encourage you in that moment. I know this is for your benefit. I know it's hard for you to see this now. But once you get through this, you're going to be ready to do everything I've created you to do. But I've got to use this storm to kill some things inside of you and to get them out. And I've got to use the rain to bring some things inside of you so that you can have what you need to accomplish your purpose. So if you're in the middle of that right now, number one, stay the course. But number two, don't yell at God. Don't get mad at him. Don't tell him he's abandoned you and that he hates you. Embrace the fact that he loves you enough to send a storm to get the stuff out of you that's going to destroy you later. It's important that we understand this. Spiritually mature people understand that. Don't think for a moment that some of the stuff you've endured was anything other than discipline. And maybe not the discipline that's designed to correct wrong behavior, but probably to prepare you for your purpose. You know, athletes discipline their bodies to prepare for the race. Discipline doesn't always mean you're getting a spanking. Now, typically there are two responses. You get mad at Jesus is one of them. Don't get mad at Jesus. Don't get mad at him. Okay, the struggle is making you get closer to God. In fact, a spiritual life hack you can take is anytime you feel like you don't understand Jesus, like when you don't understand him the least, or excuse me, when you don't understand Jesus the most, that's when you need to lean into him the most. Okay? Don't pull back. I don't understand him. I'm just going to take my hands up. No, lean into him even harder. But the other response is that you love him more. You love him more. I mean, it's like I look at my own life, and my best day was not the day I said yes to Jesus. That wasn't my best day. I've had... I've had hundreds of days that are better than that because I've had hundreds of moments where God has disciplined me and he's adjusted things inside of me and he's corrected things inside of me so that I can be closer to what he's called me to be and do better than what I, am, what I have been doing. I've had bunches of better days than, than the day of my salvation. Why? Because you know what? I'm better than I was when I met him. I'm a stronger Christian now than I was the day I met him. I'm a better son now than I was the day I met him. I'm more faithful now than I was the day I met him. And he's been able to pull some stuff out of me that's been detrimental to me. And I'm better than I am. I am better now. And so I'm not looking back at when my best day with God was. I'm looking forward to the next moment of discipline because I know when he disciplines me, it's at least evidence of two things. Number one, I'm going to get better. And number two, I'm his boy because he disciplines those he loves. It's Hebrews chapter 12. So what's, what's the big idea today? What's the point? Well, love is not all you need. Love is not acceptance. It isn't freedom. It isn't you getting whatever you want to get. It isn't you being whatever you want to be. It isn't you doing whatever you want to do. That's carnal, worldly love. It's not biblical love. Okay? Love is where your relationship with Jesus starts, absolutely. It really is. It's about you getting better. It's about discipline. It's about being a big deal in your life. You know what? Love is a big deal. And giving might be the verb of the Bible, but love is the why. It's the why. He loves you, but... God's love for you requires you to be willing to adjust and to change and to abandon what you think your life should be about and to embrace what he thinks your life should be about. And listen, I realize you lose some control there. I'll tell you right now, it is exponentially better to be married, in my opinion, than it is to be single. Like, I love being married. But you know what? Being married means I can't holler at other girls. 
sorry, y'all. Like, I don't cause nobody to stumble, you know what I'm saying? Like, all this, you know. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. But you know what? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want that. I don't want somebody else. You know what? Because I found who my heart loves. And, and it's like I have to be sure that I'm embracing and understanding that I've lost some control of my life in being married, but it's such a better life, in my opinion. For me, it is. It's better. Okay? Um, I have lived a lot of my life, just like probably a lot of you, doing what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it, expecting good results. Let me ask you a question. How's that working out for us? It's not working out very well. We've got to give everything to Jesus, okay? Um, so, what are some practical takeaways here? Because uh, this is what this is what I want to focus on. The last few minutes we have here are just some practical takeaways, some things you can do this week in order to have a better, more mature understanding of God's love and embrace that. So, here's the first thing: is stop resisting. Stop resisting. Resistance is futile if you really want to see God's best happen inside of you. Stop resisting. Jesus told Paul, "Why are you kicking against the goads?" This is an axe, okay? Like, number one, what the heck is a goad? Okay, well, a goad is not a thing. It's an action. It's when you prod somebody. So when they have an oxen that won't move, won't do something, they will poke it. Some of y'all have a hot shots. Come on. Like, by the way, hot shots, inappropriate discipline for children. Just let you know, just throwing that out there. Um, but, you know, the hot shot will, and they'll move. that's goading. That's what that means. I don't know about y'all, but there have been plenty of times in my life where Jesus has tried to goad me, and I've been like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I've tried to kick at Jesus. Sometimes you and I are the animals that are stuck in our tracks, and Jesus is prodding us forward, but we kick against him, okay? So here it is in plain English. If you know Jesus has told you to do something, then stop fighting him and just do it. Stop resisting. Well, I, Jesus wants me to call that person and apologize. Well, I don't, stop kicking against the goad. You know what a goad is now. you got to stop kicking it. Just do what he asks you to do. So what does this have to do with love? Hear me, let me put it to you like this. If he loves you enough to goad you, love him enough to move. God is not going to, let me say it like this, prod. God is not going to prod you unless he's wanting you to move. And, you know, sometimes God tells us to do something and we sit on it and we sit on it and we sit on it and we don't do it and then we find ourselves at the edge of a precipice and God goes, just kicks us right off. And we're like, God, why did you kick me? Why don't you move? He loves you. Guys, y'all can't miss the power of this. He loves you enough to prod you, to goad you. He loves you that much. Love him enough to move when he asks you to move. I'll tell you right now, God is not going to send you to a place, okay, that is going to completely and totally destroy you. If God asks you to go somewhere, he's going to meet you there. He's going to have the provision waiting. It's going to be a good situation for you. Okay? Uh, here's the next one. Start talking. One of the biggest problems people have in any relationship is that they refuse to talk about what's really going on inside of them. But when you refuse to deal with something like that, it festers, it becomes infected, and the result's going to be horrible. Now, I don't mean go blab your business across town. Good Lord. Some of us need to get off of Liberty 411 for crying out loud. If you want a really fun Saturday night, take your phone and throw the screen up onto your television and just scroll through Dayton 411 or Liberty 411. These people are crazy out there. I'm not saying blab your business to God, Jesus, and everybody, okay? But first person you need to talk to is Jesus. 
Talk to Jesus. Just a little talk with Jesus makes it right, huh? If that's the case, then how come Jesus is typically the last resort, not our first option? We always try to go to everybody else, trying to figure out a solution instead of Jesus. If we really understood how much Jesus loved us, it would be really easy to go to him and talk about stuff. Because it would kill the fear of saying the wrong thing or saying something's going to upset Jesus. Like, if I'm, I'm upset at Jesus. Like, I can't tell him that. Yeah, you can. Okay? He loved you at your worst. He loves you now. So, so embrace him. It, talk to him. Zach says it like this. Talk to Jesus like you're talking to a homie. Talk to him like you're sitting across from a friend at Starbucks. I'm mad, Jesus. I'm upset, Jesus. I'm disappointed, Jesus. I thought you were going to come through and you didn't. What's going on? Now, here's the hard part is that a lot of times Jesus won't immediately respond to you like the friend sitting at Starbucks will. So what do you do in that situation? Okay? For one thing, stop talking long enough to let him talk to you. That's the first thing. Um, Number two, when you're driving to work, cut the radio off. Turn the radio off. I got to listen to my worship music. Okay, that worship music, though, is getting in your ears and stopping you to be able to hear Jesus. Listen to worship music, that's fine. But if you're trying to hear the Lord, silence the junk around you so that you can hear Him. Okay? Like last night, I was driving back from going camping. And, and I needed to get my mind right for the message today. And so rather than listening to music or putting on worship or something like that, silence in the car. But I fall asleep. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's like, there, there's an excuse for everything, isn't there? Do you fall asleep when you're talking to your wife in the car? <laughs> Don't answer that, guys. <laughs> Here's my point is, is if you're not talking to Jesus about what's going on in your life, how can you expect to grow in your love with him? Imagine never talking to your spouse. Again, guys, don't say anything. Look, at, look forward. Just look straight. You can't grow and deepen in your love if you don't talk to him. Okay? Um, the second person you need to talk to, and I'm specifically talking to people who are married, is your spouse. Okay? Don't forget when you got married that two became one. And specifically, guys, don't think for a second that what's happened to you is only affecting you. Okay? Everything that happens to me happens to my wife. It affects her in some way, shape, or form. Now, listen, I'm specifically talking to guys there, but it goes both ways. Okay? It does go both ways, so don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. But when things happen to me, it either directly impacts my wife because she's involved in this specific situation or it, in a secondary way, affects my wife because my attitude changes when I'm struggling. And I might take it out on her or on the kids, even though I might be struggling with something at work. So here's something that might be a really bene- big benefit to you guys. Have you all heard the thing before, leave, leave uh, work at the office or leave it at the front door when you walk in? Let me give you a different way to handle it. If you've had a really bad day at the office, when you walk into your house, ask your wife, to come to you, or you know, opposite, if you're if your wife, ask your husband to come to you and get y'all get quiet and private for a minute, and just say, "Listen, I've had a horrible day at work today. Okay, I'm stressed out. I'm already telling you right now, I'm on, I'm on like the last straw. If if one thing happens, I'm afraid I'm going to blow up, and I don't want to blow up. So I'm wanting you to know before I fully even get in this house that I've had a horrible day, and it's going to be very easy for me to twist off. And I'm asking you to help me right now." You know what my wife would do? She said, well, you need to get your hand yeah. No, she wouldn't do that. <laughs> I don't know, she might. Depending on if she's had a bad day or not. But she would at the very least 
grab my hand and touch me. My love language with her is touch. Like I, if she, I mean, just putting her arm around me, it just makes me feel like, man, I'm taking on the world. And so that's what she would do. That's what she would do. It, it's just, I would feel her warmth and I know it's going to be all right. I've got a partner in this fight. God loved you enough to give you somebody that would love you like he loves the church. Embrace that. Talk to them. Let them know what's going on. And if that doesn't work or if you feel like you can't do that, go to a therapist, people. Sit down with a pastor for crying out loud. Bring an unaffected third party in to talk about it. Oh, well, just, the problems are just going to go away, you know, they'll magically go away. No, they won't. They'll fester and they'll get worse and you'll end up cutting the leg off. Now get help, talk. The last person you need to talk to is, is people around you. Not everybody. <laughs> Not everybody can handle it. Not everybody has the wisdom that you need speaking into you. And let me be honest with y'all. Not everybody has the character that needs to be speaking to y'all. Some y'all get advice from y'all coworker that's, you know, drunk every weekend and doing crack and all this kind of stuff. Are you taking advice from this person? I mean, can't even put the same shoes on. Got two different shoes on the feet. You take a life advice from this person. <laughs> That's messed up. Like, <laughs> maybe they got a lot going on in their life, Jason. Have some compassion. Okay, I got you. I got you, fam. You need people who know you and know God, love you and love God, and have your best interests in mind. That's the five we talk about all the time here, okay? You need people to encourage you and build you up. You need a team of people around you to speak life into you, to bear you up on their shoulders when you can't walk yourself. That's love. That's what Galatians chapter 6 talks about with bearing each other's burdens, okay? But there's another aspect of God of relationships in your life. Many times God does not discipline us directly. He uses people in our lives to help accomplish his task. He will use circumstances and situations, absolutely. But sometimes he uses your closest friend to help you. Now that might be something like they sit across from you at a Starbucks to say, listen, I've noticed something that's changed about you in the last month. You really seem like this, and I don't know what's going on with you, but I have to talk to you about it because you're just not normal. So can you tell me what's going on? Now, you might want to get frustrated at that person for, for doing that, but you, what you need to do is embrace them. You need to hug them. You need to thank God that you got somebody in your life that's willing to have a hard conversation with you that they didn't want to have to begin with. Nobody wants to confront somebody else about the stuff that's going on in their life. Come on, y'all. I mean, if, if you do, y'all kind of weird. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's weird. But, but many times, many times having that moment changes everything. Okay? Now, one other aspect of that is you don't typically have problems with acquaintances. You typically have problems, okay, with your closest people, your close friends. Dare I even say it? Your squad. The people that you let the closest in your life. Problems in your squad doesn't necessarily mean that they're the wrong people. It might just mean that they love you so much that they tried too hard to be a benefit, a blessing, and a solution. We have to be careful, you know, not to offer unsolicited advice. And we've been talking about that a lot in our own squad, about unsolicited advice, because everybody loves unsolicited advice, right? Wah, wah, wah. You know what you should be doing with your baby? Uh, you know what you should be doing <laughs> is putting a passy in it and moving on. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't be telling me stuff. Like, this, I know that's difficult. Sometimes... But something that I've been guilty of, just glass house with y'all, 
I have been guilty of being more focused on the unsolicited advice than the heart of the person that was delivering it. They weren't saying it to be mean. They weren't saying it to say they're better than me. They were saying it because they love me so much. They just wanted to help. I would much rather have a friend that mistakenly offered unsolicited advice than a friend who would never, ever talk to me in the first place. I want people in my life willing to have hard conversations. You know why? Because it's a part of God's discipline in my life. And guess what? God's discipline means he loves me. Stop fighting, start talking. And last one is sentence. Grow in love. I didn't say fall in love. I said grow in love. Let that love grow down deep into your soul and embrace the love that God has between you and him. It's not about you chasing. It's not about God chasing you. It's about you chasing God. God leaves the 99 to go after the one. Stop doing stuff that's making you leave the shepherd. Grow up. I mean, like, can I, can I just be mean? Like, there's no reason to leave the 99 if you're not doing the things that's making you leave the 99. The problem is, though, is we have a Christian culture that is content with Jesus chasing us, but us not chasing him. With Jesus adjusting to my lifestyle, but not our lifestyle adjusting to him. Jesus adjusting to who I think I should be, not me adjusting to who he thinks I should be. It's backwards, y'all. We should be groveling at his feet, not telling him what to do. And a lot of times we'll even come to the altar and give our list of demands and tell Jesus what we want when it's quite literally the other way around. We've got to mature. We've got to grow up. You know, Monique and I have been married uh, for 16 years this year, coming up in June. 16 years. You know, I look back at the day where I said I do, and it's like, how much I love her now? It's like it doesn't even compare. It's like I look back and I think, was, was it even love? Like, was I just infatuated with her? Because y'all, she's fine. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, she's so good looking. And she's smart and funny and all that. And we have our little inside jokes and all that. And but she, gosh, she's fine, y'all. Like, I love her so much. Was I, in, was I infatuated with her? Or was I infatuated with the idea of us? Was I in love with the idea of us? But now, it's like we've been through hard times. We've been through multiple cities and multiple jobs, multiple houses. We've had a lot of money and we've had no money. We've been through it all in sickness and in health. When our kids were healthy and when our kids were getting diagnoses that terrified us. We've been through that. Three kids planting a church, gaining friends and losing friends. Having fights where we didn't know if we were going to make it to the morning. We've been through all of that. And all of those things, all of those experiences have made me love her so much more than the day I said I do. And you know what I'm experiencing right now is the benefit of a growth progression of love with my wife. That's what I'm experiencing. When I say I love her, it is rooted and backed by experiences that I've had with her that have changed us. I didn't have those the day I said I do, but I have them now. And guys, your life with Jesus is no different. If you are still on the honeymoon with Jesus... You're, you're going to be disappointed because you can only stay in Maui for a week. You hear what I'm saying? Okay? You, you're not in Maui anymore. The honeymoon's over. It's time to grow and develop in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Imagine if you talk to your spouse now like you did when you first got married. 
you would negate all of the experiences that you've had up until now. It's time to grow up in our relationship and our love with Jesus. He is the focus, not us. He is who we should be aspiring to be like, not the other way around. He's the one that we need to embrace with all of our might, not asking Jesus to embrace us with all of His might. Sometimes we look at the cross and we look at His sacrifice and we see how much He focused on us and we forget that He's the focus, not us. So, the simple question is just this today. Two questions. Is my love focused on Jesus or on me? The second one is, what discipline needs to happen so I can grow in my love for Jesus? Remember, discipline... It does mean correction, it does mean punishment, but it also means preparation like an athlete getting ready for a race. Do, do you want to go deeper with Jesus? Do you want to grow up in your relationship with Him? If you do, it's going to require you doing some things. It might involve you laying some things on the altar this morning. So here's what I invite us to do. We just bow your heads for just a second. The only reason I ask you to do that is so you can have some focus just with you and Jesus and you forget the person to the right and to the left. We're going to have our prayer team come up at this time right now and prepare to receive you. But, um, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to just focus on the Lord for a second. Ask yourself these questions. Ask these questions. Is, is, is my love focused on Jesus or me? And listen, let me lovingly tell you that if it's focused on you, that's selfish. It needs to be focused on Him. He wants you to become everything He created you to be. But you can't become everything He created you to be if you're still focused on who you want to be. You have to lay yourself on the altar. What discipline needs to happen so you can grow in your love? What do you need to lay on the altar? What are some thought processes and ideologies that you need to crucify today? Jesus, whatever it is, I pray that you would speak to your people. I, I do pray that they would experience your love even now in this moment, that it would flood over them like a river in this moment, God. And I'm asking you to do that, Father. I'm asking you to pour out your love on them. But God, in that process, I pray that you would speak to them about things that need to be adjusted and changed in their lives so that they can become everything that you created them to be. God, I don't want to be who I want to be. I want to be who you want me to be. And that's going to require me to embrace my love for you. It's going to, be requ it's going to require me to, to move whenever you prod me. It's going to require me to do some things. And God, I pray that you give us the courage even now in this moment to do those things. Jesus, we love you. Church, just take a moment now in this moment and just confess in your own way your love to him. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for everything you've done for us. You're so good and you're so worthy. We thank you for your love, Jesus. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on Freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.